This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Trevor Molyneux. I do think that our generation, we weren't taught to use feeling words to talk about, and I say this to my clients, you need to use the I statement with a core word instead of attacking, going, you stop watching football. Well, mm-hmm. the underlying thing is I'm missing you and I need you and I haven't really talked to you in a really long time and I would love it if you just come to me and maybe hug me. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast. I'm Tessa. And I'm Amir and we are the Open Nesters rather than Empty Nesters. How will you write Act 3 of your life? Together with wise guest experts, individuals, and partners just like you, we will go on a journey and discover how rich this stage of life, Act 3, can be. Having space for yourself and having space for your partner and encouraging that. What's the best way to prepare yourself for opening a new door? It's to pause. This woman came down with two guys and she introduced them as her husband and her boyfriend. This is what I want. Life keeps on living. Step into that. Trevor Molyneux is so wise and insightful about this stage of life and how we handle our partnerships. And I know we're all going to learn so much because I've been learning from her for the last couple of years. Yeah, and she made us uh, fill up this uh, quiz right before... So, and she's going to talk about it. So, I'm looking forward to see what she's going to analyze about us, Tessa. Okay. Let's hear it from Trevor. Welcome, Trevor Molino. I would love you to introduce more of why you are with us as a marriage and family therapist, a little bit of your background, and how you can shed a lot of light on us as open nesters. Welcome. Hey, Tessa and Amir. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I work and practice in Connecticut, although I do coaching kind of all over the place, if you would like. Um, you doing my, it in person or in the- um, It's a little of both right now. Um, mm-hmm. You can find me on trevormullineu.com, T-R-E-V-O-R-M-U-L-L-I-N-E-A-U-X.com. Wow. We'll have it on our website too. <laughs> um, yeah, so this has been interesting due to COVID. I've been doing a lot of telehealth and I've been doing walking therapy. I've met people on my deck outside. I had a client most of the summer with a boat, and I told him he has ruined me for good because I've done <laughs> therapy on his boat. You awesome. rent his boat. You rent his boat for him. Well, he brings it on the boat as part of the oh, therapy. Oh, my God. It was beautiful. Uh, and then I've made a lot of house calls lately. So, yeah, I think all of us have learned to adapt and figure out how to show up for each other. One-on-one on telehealth is quite easy. It's not a problem. However, I do quite a bit of couples and family therapy. It's much more difficult to see what's happening and feel what's going on between everybody when they're on camera. It's doable. It's just it's just a little bit more challenging. I can um, imagine. There's a whole yeah. energy loss or body language that you can can be kind of be hidden. I mean, you don't see, you yeah. don't feel as much, and you're you yeah. know you like to experience what you're feeling with people when you're so. so Go ahead. So, as a family uh, therapist, marriage and family, ma- marriage and family therapist, you mm-hmm. anything you're specializing in within that? I mean, that's such a broad subject. 
It's such a broad subject. Okay, so what I practice is a model called emotionally focused therapy. It was created by a woman named Sue Johnson, who's a rock star in my world. Uh, she used the idea of attachment theory for adult relationships for many, many years. Attachment theory really had been focused on children and maladaptive prob problems with children. Well, she was the first one along with Les Greenberg to identify that many of the behaviors, the patterns that we get into are based on how we perceive ourselves in the relationship. And a lot of that stuff is from our family of origin. So I am, I'm a huge proponent for it. Uh, it is super helpful when I have my clients understand how they react to one another. They get triggered. They become more self-aware of those triggers. They can talk to each other a little differently. And hopefully it shifts the conversation and the satisfaction they feel with one another. So the attachment theory goes back to their childhood, go back to uh, their home, or go yeah. back to recent memory? So attachment theory, we believe you develop attachment style, if you will, from zero to two or three. And it is sort of the responsiveness of your caregiver, the environment and your personality type, if you will. So just imagine you were a child in Syria uh, born within the last 20 years. You have experienced trauma after trauma after trauma that had nothing to do with your caregiver was the fact that you were listening your to drums, yes. bombs dropping around you. Now, if you were a child who was being raised by a mother who was addicted to something, your attachment probably was never firmly developed and you're going to have maybe an avoidant, a chaotic or an anxious attachment style. I was going to um, ask you to, you know, to, to yeah. go ahead and define those for us because I found them so fascinating the first time I met you. And I uh -huh. also, I also, we all, I had Amir and I went and did that attachment style quiz, mm -hmm. which I also put up on yeah. our website from the personal development uh, school that, that I thought that they did, she did a really good job of. And we can talk a little bit about our attachment styles that came up in the quiz, mm -hmm. but I'd be curious for you to first make sure our audience knows what all the attachment styles are. So I encourage any of the listeners to take this attachment style quiz. It's a terrific thing. Thank you, Tessa, for putting it on the website. Each of us has one of four styles. The first one is being secure. That means that you can receive and give love that uh, emotional upset. You can kind of find ways to calm yourself, but also receive calming and soothing from those around you. Someone with an anxious attachment style is sort of kind of looking for wanting that reassurance, like, please show up for me. I really can't trust it. And they're just sort of, they get upset. And they often, we, we call, we, we call them fighters. They, they try to rattle the cage, like, why aren't you listening to me? Stop watching the TV and watching football. Notice me, <laughs> you know, so we get into the same fights and off. So we've got secure, anxious, and then the avoidant attachment style, which I tend to be sort of somewhere secure slash avoidant, which is those of us whose parents really didn't want to hear a lot of emotional stuff. And they were sort of always like, everything's fine. I don't want to hear it. And you're kind of taught early on to squish your emotions down. So a lot of avoidant attachment people first have a hard time identifying that they're feeling anything because they have also listed pushed as it down. Is that the same one? Dismissive. Well, Yes, yes, it's part of the whole of, uh, avoidant style. Dismissive is even tougher because a dismissive avoidant person not only doesn't want to feel their own feelings, but they put themselves down for feeling feelings. So if I understand yeah. you correctly, a child that is experiencing specific attachment or disattachment, 
Mm-hmm. Is growing up with that baggage, so to speak, Absolutely. and then enter into a relationship, whether it's with a woman or a man, whatever, mm-hmm. and then carries that into their relationship, and that's where Absolutely. problems, challenges mm-hmm. begin. Is that is that and, is and that correct? Finishes one more, uh, one more. Uh, uh, so we we were just finishing up dismissive avoidant, dismissive avoidant. So that that person is is kind of condescending for their own feelings and tend to be do so for other people. They're, they're tough because there's very little empathy. It's more like, oh, shut up. I don't want to hear about it. Now, the fourth kind is we call it chaotic. We call it come to me, go away. And oftentimes you'll find what in the usual parlance would be a, a um, personality disorder, like a borderline or narcissism. They can't take in love. They want it and they're looking for it and they're take, but they, but once you start feeling love, they they just can't deal with it. It's too overwhelming and intense. So they push it away. So there's this constant, we call it, come to me, go away. Chaotic uh, attachment. You know, that's what they, I think that in the personal development school, uh, they call it fearful avoidance, which sounds strange to me because they're fearful. And, I, and actually, I wanted to go through our scores on this, but and mm-hmm. I think it would be helpful and reflective for people to realize that and what that could mean and maybe mm-hmm. have a discussion around that. So, yes. In emotionally focused therapy, if you listen to us long enough, we believe that through secure attachment or being able to take in love, you can regroup your neurological pathways and you can heal a lot of those wounds and trauma and whatnot of your childhood. And that actually you can shift into healthier, more satisfied relationships, but it takes this sort of mindful understanding that there's actually a person there for you and learning new ways of asking them to come meet you and help soothe you and take the soothing in. So the belief is you're not stuck in it. Right, we're not stuck. And also mm-hmm. the discussion and the communication about it is obviously mm-hmm. first and foremost, rather than waiting till you have a major breakdown in your marriage, mm-hmm. which some open esters are probably about to have. So mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of express my, from one of my studies that had taught that in all these areas, whether they're uh, when we're raising kids, that's an intense time of, of this where we do have as a couple in that marriage an explicit discussion sometimes about how we raise kids or our finances, but not necessarily about our own growth, our own needs are at all. Mm-hmm. So going to these attachment styles was so interesting for me. And, and you had pointed it out to me even when I met you that well, go and I wanted to you know talk about our particular relationship. If you'd like to hear more about couples, relationship and how they make it work during the open nesting stage, please check out episode number three, Three Couples and Their Passions, as well as Eroticize Your Jealousy, episode eight. But I'm interested for you to ask you about when you deal with couples that are at this stage, are you seeing that it's coming up more than usual because now they have time to deal with it? Mm. And what would you suggest and the timing to try to start addressing that before they're, it's just too late. Um, we find, like for example, yeah. that the open nesters, uh, some some that has the challenge, is that their kids were the main focus of their lives, mm-hmm. and now the kids are off on their own, and now all of a sudden there's no common grounds, no common goal, no common dream, for the couple to actually pursue, and then that's where some challenges begin. So perhaps that emotional focus theory come to fruition uh, during that time, you think? that's what Absolutely. Tessa is absolutely. asking. Yeah, um, so Tessa and Amir, those are, those are absolutely great questions. So emotionally focused therapy, hopefully, and I've certainly 
work with many couples in this life stage as their children are leaving and they're all all of a sudden they've been sort of running around trying to make money and support the children and do this and they've had very little time to kind of come together and focus on one another and in that sort of breakdown of an emotional attachment between the two of them it gets to be very um there's usually resentment and anger and there's maybe been affairs or betrayals of all different nature i've i had one couple that almost divorced over a sports car well it you know if you don't talk to your partner about a large purchase the other person's going to feel betrayed right so my unilateral decisions i mean trust and unilateral decisions you know we have not have distrust we need trust and we need to be together right Exactly, exactly. So um, this model of couples theory uh, therapy is very important. And, and in fact, quite, uh, it is actually the longitudinal researched best couples model out there. And um, I'm sure you've heard some other names, John Gottman, for example, etc. Actually, this particular model is, is really the gold standard at this point. Um, and there's a very strong way to be taught. I actually teach people how to do it. I'm a, I'm a supervisor as well. And it really is slowing down and getting to the emotional underpinnings of what's going on and getting people. And again, I do think that our generation, we weren't taught to use feeling words to talk about. And I say this, my clients, you need to use the I statement with a core word. Instead of attacking, going, you stop watching football. Well, Mm -hmm. the underlying thing is I'm missing you and I need you. And I haven't really talked to you in a really long time. And I would love it if you just come to me and maybe hug me. Because sometimes when you're watching football, it feels to me (laughs) like you're paying attention to the TV, not so much me. Well, that's the communication that I think that we need explicit discussions and check-ins. And I do Mm. wonder what you recommend as far as that for people as they face it so they can be ahead of the curve of before the major breakdowns happen. (laughs) What would you recommend for the kind of check-ins that they could do with this theory, with, with this understanding of each other's how can that help? So do you, you can yeah. give us some overview and then we'll go through ours. So a healthy couple can speak of anything. There are no scary off the table topics, right? If you talk to a lot of couples and you separate them pretty much, I would say 90%, 95% of couples, somebody will say, oh my God, I can't ever talk about X. Maybe it's sex. Maybe I can't talk about my mother-in-law. Uh, you know, there's always something. So my job is to help give everybody a safe place to be able to be seen and heard and speak their truth in a way that can be received. Right. How, how can they do it a little bit on their own? Are there any books that you would advise? I mean, I've heard of um, therapy for doing <laughs> well, it. It's and, a practice. You know. So Imago, uh, we use some Imago practice too. Um, Imago is really just literally reciting word for word what your partner just said, and it's very helpful. Um, there's actually a wonderful book called EFT for Dummies. Wonderful. And I have, I have some clients that love that book. Sue Johnson wrote a book called Hold Me Tight. You can also go to the international, um, it's called ICEEFT, International Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy. Um, and you can look up your zip code and get a therapist that is actually trained in this model. It makes a huge difference. Wonderful. You will get a very different experience than this couple of model. The biggest thing that I say to my clients, you know you're going off the rails when the word you comes out of your mouth. Right. Right? 
because you're and, telling the other person what they're thinking when you, what you really want to do is say to your partner, I don't know what you meant by that. I'm not going to assume anything. It landed on me and I was so deeply hurt by that or I'm ashamed by that. I see. The Radio Vagabond. If you like to travel but haven't really been able to too much in recent times, let me do it for you. Meet Paula Bow, a full-time traveler and digital nomad from Denmark on an epic journey around the world. So far, I've been to almost 100 countries, so I'm halfway in my quest to visit every country in the world. Join me, and maybe you'll get some inspiration for your next trip. The Radio Vagabond. Gotta keep moving. Well, you know, when I met you, I remember telling you about us being in an open relationship, and your first response was, you must have both have a lot of secure attachment. Yeah. So the fact that we can navigate that, we definitely feel. So we did the quiz. I'm, I mean, I actually have 84% secure and 14% anxious pre- preoccupied. Mm-hmm. And Amir had had 60-something percent secure, also the majority, but 67, also... 67, yeah. And then, the uh-huh. f- and then the fearful one was higher for him. And I, and I wanted to just spend a few minutes because I think that's a live example that gets us people understanding that nobody is going to be perfect and we're all going to have areas to work on and that we need to do our own work is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Our feelings as men often don't like to, so I'm going to say that I think it's more men oriented with discussing it, mm-hmm. would be more helpful if, if they're able to be vulnerable. And that's a really hard thing for men in our society. Absolutely. And, and so I, w- I wondered if you could address that um, as well as this, you know, the, the idea that, for example, I know what we always have to work on uh, with, even though we compromise and we, and we communicate pretty effectively, how we can uh, rec- recreate ourselves in, in the discussion about harm around f- his fears that sometimes he has that are mm-hmm. sometimes having such a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Is very generous about wanting us to both have our space, but not being able to acknowledge his needs. And for me that I'm needy. So those are the two areas that I think come out in our, in our quiz and from our quiz and from our known, you know, knowledge about our feelings. And I wondered if you had any advice that you could give us. Are we in a session? <laughs> uh, of course, <laughs> always. <laughs> well, the beautiful thing is that you both skew much more secure and that's that's the key to all of this and I think in in successful couples anywhere any in any century it's that each of you feels um, that you you are loved and you can give love so you have the most the ability to give and receive the fearful part is feeling like I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get that person, that I'm not going to get that reassurance. So being able to slow, stop and slow down and say, you know, voice it, say right now. And if, I hate, I hate the word needy, so to speak, because actually we're all needy. We're human beings. And the way we collaborate, the way we are in the world, the way we survive as a species is we need each other, right? We need to know that our partner, our bond is there and it's secure. So every once in a while, we'll be knocking on our partner's door, a little like, hey, do you see me? And it could be as easy as like, uh, don't you think that leaves are beautiful outside? That's just a little knock on the door, yeah. like see me, hear me, you know, agree with me or even disagree. Mm-hmm. Just That makes me feel alive. Just, just acknowledge me. Right? So there's no needy. It's just being able to say in this moment, I kind of need to get a kiss or I just need a like a, a little word of that and it's okay to be that vulnerable and and again it's so beautiful when men can voice that 
desire for connection. For, of course, for men, it's so much easier, at least culturally, to say, hey, I need sex, right? And that's the way I feel strong and, and needed and worthy. And it's just that tender emotional stuff that we all need. And I don't care what gender ever that you are, we can be any gender, we still need that tender part of us to feel that there's someone there and that sees us and hears us and that we're safe. That's the key. Right. And, and, and then us being a little different in that area. And I do think that, that, um, the check-in of how we're feeling instead of it being coming up at the wrong time is helpful and, and finding out what are our emotional needs. And that is something that I think is harder for men, for example, to be able to express those emotional needs as, mm -hmm. as you were saying. So the check-in, how can we plan it, for it? How can it, we uh, plan for that? Is it hard to express or less of a need of those emotional needs? That's I don't know. A Amir, you tell me when you are feeling a little vulnerable or tender, are you able to turn to Tessa and say, I need you? I don't, she sense it. She can sense that I need, and then she'll come and try to come closer, to come to try to open up. But I usually kind of like uh, closed in, like a, into my little snail shell, mm. you know, I kind of so withdraw. That's, that's, that's what we call a little bit of avoidant um, style. So if, if I were your therapist, I would encourage you to use your words. Going back okay. to how we are as kids and, and me yeah. being calmer about understanding you. your hurt because mm -hmm. it's not always apparent for us. So it really mm -hmm. does take a check-in. I was just trying to figure out if there's good language for a check-in every week. And that's what we're trying to work on ourselves because we're always you know, trying to figure that out. Well, I, I think one of, what, what I try to say to my clients is we all get into these negative loops, right? Um, if, if, right, Tessa, if you're feeling like, maybe I'm feeling some separation from him and I, I need him, maybe you're pursuing him in some way. So usually the person who's a little bit more quote unquote needy or anxious is we call the pursuer. The avoidant, like Amir, as he was saying, I go into my shell, right. his, his way of coping with any intensity, he's like, I, I get a little, you get actually, he actually crowd, you know, he did this a little bit. That's right. um, he pulled in. And so just to be able to say, A, we're, both in that piece, Amir saying, I'm, I'm withdrawing you saying, I'm pursuing a little bit, even though I have a feeling you're mo one of the most gentle pursuers ever, yeah. <laughs> that you're like literally yeah. stand back and go, okay, it's there. So step one is self, uh, sort of self of self, if you will, awareness, I'm here in this place. And then pivot for Amir, it would be doing the opposite. Instead of closing down and quieting. Withdrawing. Withdrawing you step forward and lean in and go, what can I do here? I would like to use my words, even if it's as simple as the first thing I want to do is withdraw, but I'm not going to do that right this minute. That's huge. That's revolutionary. And then for Tessa would be, okay, I'm just going to quiet down a little bit. I'm just going to open up. I'm going to listen. Beautiful. That right. was so helpful that just, I could feel right. how that is possible. And it's a shift. And also the idea that sometimes we're not in the mood to talk about something and mm. being very clear, I think is really important. So we're trying to get better at that. Mm -hmm. it's saying, okay, if you Yeah, really... we are on our own journey and we continue to improve, I believe, mm -hmm. after oh, yeah, 30, 30 years, years of marriage. It's <laughs> uh, pretty we're impressive. St we're still improving. <laughs> we're still adjusting. We're still tweaking. 
and uh, we're moving forward. We always, if we fall, we fall forward. That's what, <laughs> that's what we say. I, mm -hmm. I wonder if you have a specific advice, general, using those theories, your experience, expertise, mm -hmm. and your encounter with so many couples over the years. Mm -hmm. Any specific advice, one or two, that you can give couples that are in that particular juncture where they become open nesters and now they have to reunite in some fashion. Mm -hmm. What would you tell those couples? What would you advise them to, uh, to do in order to reunite? There's, there's lots of tools, actually. And again, like Hold Me Tight, there's workshops through Sue Johnson. And even if you do some more uh, research, you can find probably in your area groups that there are groups that work with this. And, and I do think there is such an incredibly important history that you two have of 30 years and the children. And there's so much value and beauty and love in there. And most couples have this, I, I would take away domestic violence and a few other, you know, pr huge problems, but right. let's assume there's, there's that. So be able to stand back. And even if you're really angry and you believe me, I have clients, they haven't had sex in six years. They're so angry at each other. They can't touch each other that it, even if you step back and start assessing the positives and begin there. And, and really be curious. What is it I'm missing? And most of us do this. We demonize our partner. It's all his fault. He, worked too, he works too hard or she's out with her friends playing tennis all day. We always make it their fault. So I would absolutely suggest, what are you doing that doesn't bring your partner to you in love and kindness and understanding? Because my guess is you're probably not being loving and kind and understanding either to her or him. Or them. So you're saying that number one is to focus on the positive of the relationship. Mm -hmm. What is you grateful for? Mm -hmm. What is that worked in the past? And then you start that as and then pivot from there to improving. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. having fun together. Like when mm -hmm. we start having fun together, this is our, you know, we're in our studio now where we, where, where he plays music and I dance and we drum and, <laughs> and during COVID right now, I think people have a hard time if they were spending time outside as if that was the only way to have outside entertainment rather than maybe coming inside to find out what they're good at together and what they, what helps them jive together. Mm -hmm. um, so besides just watching TV series side by side, are there any other <laughs> fun things that, that you've seen your couples be able to have fun doing? I love that you guys drum and play music and move together. That is talk about getting in touch with your inner child. <laughs> that yeah. is so fantastic to vibe those parts of yourself. I mean, we we you know we're we've been doing puzzles in my family, word games, stuff that you know I like silly stuff that I hadn't done in years. It's been really entertaining, you know, as the family, and so it's it's all good. Cooking awesome. more, yeah, cooking together, yeah. Yeah, so that's what the Open Nester is all about. We're trying to identify challenges. We're trying to identify positive lights, spots of couples, and try to teach others and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole purpose of uh, creating this podcast called The Open Nesters, where we become open rather than empty, and we can fill that openness, or the emptiness, I should say, with that opening, with everything else that we can uh, find new relationship, new adventures, uh, opening up our relationship uh, to others, to more love, to more friendships, and uh, travel, whatever it is that we do. So we appreciate you giving us some insights, and we will repeat the uh, 
website. Can you repeat the website that where can people find you if they're looking for you? Yep, trevormullineau.com. So spell it out. T-R-E-V-O-R-M-U-L-L-I-N-E-A-U-X.com. Trevor, thank you. What a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you so much. I'm sure that you have added a lot of value to many of our listeners. Thank you so much. Stay well. Stay healthy. Be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. So even though divorce rates are not necessarily going up, the area of open nesters or the gray divorce is skyrocketing. So I think these kind of conversations are so important. And I thank Trevor so much for helping us understand how when we we can regroup our neural pathways and heal ourselves through our partnership and through our love. And I absolutely love the idea of doing that kind of work. Yeah, I I enjoy, I don't know if I can say enjoy, but I felt that I'm in session, like that HBO series uh, in in treatment. Uh, I was in session live on the microphone with uh, Trevor Molyneux. And, you know, maybe a a little bit vulnerable too there, but realizing that we all a little bit needy. And even though I was in a session, I realized, you know, I really need to focus more on the positive of every relationship. And the fact I can get in touch with my inner child and play, whether it is uh, being a DJ or using this uh, podcast with you or drumming in our studio, whatever that is, it is really getting in touch with or getting attached and bringing up the inner child. And the process of being in this podcast has helped us become a healthier couple because when we talk about anything, like Trevor talks about, a healthy couple can talk about anything. So instead of suppressing it, and I really believe this is the wisest advice for us at this stage of really looking at it with intention and finding the ways to grow ourselves as individuals and then together and how to bring our that energy and that growth back with patience. Yes, and it's for me it was... A truly an educational process to listen to her and understanding the uh, attachment styles. I mean, the, the secure and the calm, the anxious, the avoidance, the dismissive avoidance, chaotic. I mean, this is all new to me. And, and it's, it's great to... And, and it helps us be more aware of kind of where our triggers are. So as you know, that stuff happens with each of us and it happens in a relationship where you're closest to people that they can trigger things the most. So how to how to really say, I can yeah. actually re- regroup and, and pause and slow down, as she talked about, in order to be the best we can be. And not only in this relationship, but any other relationship that one has, whether it's uh, subordinates and boss or em- employees or friends or whatever that is, you, it's good to know what the attachment style so you can communicate with people better and understand a little bit better about their behavior. Well, that would be cool. That would be cool, yeah. Something like that. But anyway, we enjoy this thoroughly and we urge you to visit the footnotes on our website for this particular interview, uh, theopennesters.com. That's theopennesters, double in the middle, S at the end, dot com. You will find a lot of resources. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear from you about uh, what you think, any comments, any questions that you have to our expert of uh, of all our episodes, as well as let us know if you like or know of somebody that can add value to our Open Nestor growing community. And speaking about community, I want to thank all of our listeners for being so loyal in making this podcast 
really one of the best things to, for us and to the world. Yeah, the feedback that we've gotten and the testimonials, we thank so many of you for writing in, a few for sending me voice messages that I asked for. And actually, our survey is up, and there's always going to be a new survey that we change over if in our resources tab on the Open Nesters website to find out what are the what are the kind of interviews you like and what you'd like to hear more of. It's a quick one minute, literally one question. So if you can get on and do that for us, we would so appreciate it. And also, I'll be launching another tab where it's going to say Tessa with all kinds of information about the things that that we offer and that I offer is um, in not just coaching, but in public speaking and understanding how this stage of life can impact us because it's impacted us in a wonderful way. And the Facebook page. And huh? our closed community. You can actually comment in our private group on the Facebook page by going to The Open Nesters. So thanks so much for being with us again today. And I'm Amir. I'm Tessa. And we will see you on the radio. See you. It's my, it's my life. It's okay. You're taking my life. I can take and it. I'll see you on the radio. And I say ciao. Bye. Yeah. Well, let's do it again. I'll, I'll see you on the radio. Ciao. That's it.